the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, hello everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I'd like to welcome you to our studios. And with me here is my dear brother, Sam Shimon. And today's live stream is going to be a little bit unique, like we did it before. I think one time at least we did this. This is going to be a combination of Facebook Live and also my radio show, Let Us Reason. Because of this, we are going to only do uh, the first part for about uh, around 24 minutes, give or take. So you'll hear me talking to my radio audience, and around 24 minutes from now, I'll stop the recording. We'll take a one-minute break. You might see us, you know, in the studio and then we'll come back and do another radio show for another 24 minutes or so. So that's why you're going to hear me talking uh, to both audience, Facebook audience and also our radio audience. So to those of you who are tuning in to Let Us Reason, I'd like to welcome you to this special episode of Let Us Reason that is also aired right now on Facebook. And you can go to my Facebook, basically, page, alfadi.sira, to watch it, whether if you are... Uh, you know, listening to this recording at that moment. You can go, of course, and watch it. It's been recorded on December 18th. So you can go to the post on December 18th and you'll be able to see this. With me here in studio again is our dear brother, Sam Shamon. And today's really uh, part one and also later part two is very special in terms of the topic and the focus. We are going to talk about a very interesting topic called Christology. Mm. And that deals, of course, with the deity of Christ. And we are going to show that the deity of Christ is very evident even in the Gospel of Mark. Why yep. do I say this? Because we get accused all the time that it's only John that talks about Christ as God or as divine, that somehow there has been an evolution uh, in the writings of the Gospels or between the writers of the Gospels that somehow Mark started with the humanity of Jesus and John ended uh, writing about Jesus as a divine person. Welcome, brother. And I'm always blessed to have you here. It's a blessing to serve you and serve with you for the glory of Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> as our habit is, we invoke Jesus Christ, our Lord, to bless this session for his glory. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Save us from error and speak truth passionately so that the church will be strengthened and Muslims will be convicted to repent and fall in love with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, their only hope of salvation. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We love you. We need you. We depend on you. Amen. It's all right. So, um... What can we learn about the Christology of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark alone? Yeah, and when we say Christology, obviously, uh, we want to define some terms. Christology means the study of Christ. <clears throat> the reason why we're focusing on the Gospel of Mark is because Muslims have picked up on the dating that 
not only liberal, but even evangelical scholars <clears throat> assign to the writing of the Gospels. Most scholars believe that Mark is the first of the four Gospels and that John is the last. Now, again, that is an assumption, and some people say there are strong reasons for that assumption. I'm not going to try to challenge the dating and say, well, Mark is not the first, but let's say Matthew. We're just going to, for argument's sake, assume Mark is the first, and we're going to show from Mark that the portrait of Mark <clears throat> in regards to Jesus is that Jesus is not a mere human creature or an angelic creature, but that he's God Almighty in the flesh, distinct from the Father and the Spirit. Now, why is that important? Amen. Because the Muslims will tell you, see, it's only in John where you find these highly exalted claims of deity. But in Mark, Jesus speaks as a super, supernaturally empowered servant messenger, no more, no less. That's so right. that's why it's vitally important that as serious students of the Bible, people who love the triune God, who love the Bible as God's word, they need to be able to demonstrate from all the Gospels, right. specifically and especially, particularly the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus, even in Mark, is God in the flesh and claimed to be such. Amen. Amen. So, so walk us through <clears throat> some of these powerful passages yes. in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to start with the very first chapter. Yeah. Mark chapter Are 1. Are you saying from the beginning? Yes. Mark chapter 1. We're going to try to break it down with the time allotted to us, but we're going to do two sessions. So Lord willing, if we don't get to all of it, we can at least pick it up in the second session because we want to open up for Q&A as well. Amen. If the people have questions, feel free to ask us. This is the time for you to ask. Yes, please. It says, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, now Mark is telling us that this gospel that I'm now setting forth, that I'm writing down, and we believe by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has already been prophesied in the prophets, in the writings of the Old Testament. Old Testament. Old Testament. Centuries before these events. The prophets by revelation of the Holy Spirit announced these events. Now, it is of interest that the two passages that he cites are passages about the coming of the God of the Old Testament. <clears throat> yeah, and not just a person, no, no. God himself. <clears throat> the God of the Old Testament coming after sending a, a herald, an emissary to prepare for his coming. So let's read it. As, as it is written in the prophets, Look, <clears throat> I am sending my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now let me unpack these two Old Testament prophecies. The first is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, this is what the prophet said will take place. I will send my messenger. This is a citation from Malachi 3.1. I, God speaking, will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me or before my face. And the Lord whom you seek, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming, says Yahweh or Yahovah of hosts. Now notice who's coming. God says, I'm going to send a messenger ahead of me to prepare for, for my face, to prepare right. people for my coming. And that's John the Baptist. And now, he says, when this messenger comes, immediately after him, the Lord will show up in his temple. Now, the, the words, the Lord in Hebrew is Ha-Adan. I don't want people to take my word for it, get any lexical source. And if you can read the Hebrew, read it for yourself. It's Ha-Adan. That exact phrase, Ha, the definite article, and Adan is never used for anyone besides Yehovah, the true God. Amen. And you'll find one of its occurrences in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 24, just to name a few, Isaiah 1, 24, and Isaiah 3, 1. There it's Yehovah of hosts, Jehovah of hosts, called the Lord Ha'adan. It's never used of anyone but the true God. By the way, Ha'adan is where we get also Adonai. Adonai, Adoni, yeah. Yeah. right? Adonai, all, all the, it all comes from Adan. 
That's right. Which can mean Lord, Master. But in this particular context, it's speaking of God as the Lord who's coming to his temple. So the second proof that this being who's coming is not a creature but is God, it says that the Lord will come to his temple. Now, you don't need to guess whose temple this is because if you go to 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1, David is telling the people to help Solomon in the building of the temple in Jerusalem because he says, this palace is not for man but for God. Amen. So the temple in Jerusalem is for who? Is it for For a man? God Almighty. The Jews got upset with Jesus when he was talking about the temple as it belongs to him. His body. But now in Malachi's son about the temple in Jerusalem, the Lord is going to appear there. The Lord is going to appear in that temple in Jerusalem. Now, which temple? Malachi's son about the second temple because the first temple had been destroyed. But the principle is the same. The temple in Jerusalem, that physical building, was not built for man. First Chronicles 29, verse 1, but for God. So it says, the Lord will come to his temple. Amen. A messenger will be sent. After the messenger comes, the Lord will show up in his temple. Clearly, this is Jehovah, Yahovah, Yahweh, coming to Jerusalem and entering his temple. The second confirmation that Mark gives that this is God coming, not a creature. Mark then quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. That's the Mark the Evangelist right yes. now we're talking about. Because in Mark chapter 1, yeah. he quoted two Old Testament texts. He quoted Malachi 3.1, which we just unpacked. Clearly, that's God coming once the messenger prepares for his coming. The second citation is just as clear. In fact, some would say even clearer because it tells us who's coming in explicit terms. Yahovah, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to pronounce the divine name. Let's read it. This is what he quotes. <clears throat> Isaiah 40 verse 3. The voice of him who cries out. The voice of him who cries out, prepare the way of the Lord. In Hebrew, Yod, He, Vav, He, where we get the divine name. Some pronounce it Yahovah, some Jehovah, Yahweh, whoever want to pronounce it, it is God. Prepare the way for Jehovah, for the Lord, for God. And where? In the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Notice the highway for whom? Our God. Amen. So a voice will be heard. A voice in the wilderness, in the desert, shouting out, preparing people for the coming of Jehovah, Amen. Yahweh. Amen. And that's the same voice that's said to be the messenger of Malachi, sent to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, who will enter his temple. According to Mark, that messenger sent to prepare for the Lord, the voice in the wilderness that cries out, get ready for the coming of Yahweh, Amen. is John the Baptist. Amen. In and fact, by the way, thank you, James Lawson, for uh, writing all of these <coughs> passages, and Anne Ryan also, so people can track as well. Yes. Yeah. Now, coming back to the point, so that I don't lose the audience, and I hope I'm not losing you, let me know if we're losing you in the comment section. Two prophecies saying that an, an herald, an emissary, <clears throat> a messenger, will be sent in the wilderness to prepare people for the coming of Ha'adan, the Lord to his temple, Yahovah, the Lord Jehovah, is coming. Once this entity, this, this herald comes to prepare for his coming, announcing to the people. According to Mark 1, that voice in the wilderness, that messenger sent to prepare for the appearance of God, is none other than John the Baptist. And I'm going to go to Mark 1 again. I'm going to reread 3 and put it with 4 so you can see the connection. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, which in the Hebrew would be prepare the way of Yahweh, Yahovah. Amen. 
make his path straight. This voice will be heard in the wilderness. Now, is it a coincidence in verse 4, we are told by Mark, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So notice John's voice is heard in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness and he's preparing people for the coming of what these Old Testament prophecies say, Jehovah Almighty, the Lord Almighty to his temple. And where was John? <clears throat> what do you mean, John? John was, the Baptist. Where was he baptizing? He was across the Jordan. That's and there's right. a reason why the Holy Spirit said that, because that's the wilderness right there before entering into the promised land. Well, it even land. says it in 4, John came baptizing yeah. in the wilderness. Amen. You guys catching it? You don't need to guess where he is. Notice the verse, folks. It says, in the wilderness. Why in the wilderness? Did you remember the prophecy in Isaiah 40? That's right. A voice of one crying in the wilderness. So who is it? You don't need to guess. Verse 4, that's John. He's the voice. He's the messenger. But who did John prepare for? Let's read to 8. The whole region of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River. So we're reading now 5 to 8. John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Now notice what he says. He preached saying, after me is coming one mightier than I. The straps of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now let me explain what that means. It was the function of household servants, servants right. in the house to provide water for travelers or even for the owner of the house because at that time they would wear open sandals and be walking on dusty roads. Right. So when you enter the home, the servant would come with water, untie your sandals and wash your feet. So what John is saying is, he is so great and mighty, I'm not good enough to be his slave. That's right. I am not worthy to touch his sandals. I'm not good enough to be a slave. That's how mighty he is. And then he puts the icing on the cake. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So notice, how great is this one? So great that I'm unworthy to be a slave. I, he's too good for me, and I'm not good enough to be his slave. And he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. I challenge any anti-Trinitarian. I challenge a Muslim. I'll even let him use his Quran. I'll even let him use the Quran, which is not the Word of God. I challenge any of you listening now, and this is a live stream, so hopefully you'll bring, bring me your objection. Show me a single place in the Hebrew Scriptures and show me a place in the Quran where someone other than the true God grants the Holy Spirit, immerses people in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, pours out the Holy Spirit. You won't find it. That's a function of God alone. But John says, this one who comes, he will immerse you, baptize you with in the Holy Spirit, something the Old Testament agrees is a prerogative of God alone. And I'll just give you one example. Joel 2, 28 to 29. And, I, and it will be that afterwards, I, God speaking, Yehovah, will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men and will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the men servants and maid servants in those days, I, Yehovah, will pour out my spirit. Now, could Mark be any clearer Amen. in saying that this Jesus is the Lord Ha'adan of Malachi 3.1, who's coming to his temple, who's, by the way, called the Angel of the Covenant, meaning he is that figure in the Old Testament called the Messenger of God, who's distinct from God and happens to be God. Could it be any clearer that this Jesus is Yahovah, whom the voice in the wilderness was sent to announce and herald his coming? 
So Mark has begun his gospel by telling you, this is the divine son who's distinct from the father because he's the son of God, the father, but he's one with the father in essence, because he is that very God of the Old Testament to whom the temple in Jerusalem belongs. He is that God in the flesh that John sent to prepare. Amen. And if you're tuning in to Let Us Reason, uh, <coughs> this is uh, another podcast that, that we are doing uh, as a special edition where the same podcast is being aired right now on Facebook Live. If you want to go and watch the entire thing on video, if you have fa- access to Facebook, it is uh, posted on December 18th, 2019. And later on, we will see if we can make it even available as well as one of the video- videos on our YouTube channel, Sierra International. Now, um, we've been going through the topic of Christology from the Gospel of Mark. Yes. And the reason why we chose this, and with me here is Sam Shimon, our guest, uh, because there is always an attack against the deity of Christ and the claim that only the Gospel of John amplified the deity of Christ when in fact the other Gospels did not and we are showing that traditionally at least it's perceived that the Gospel of Mark is either the earlier or one of the earliest to be written and yet we're showing from chapter 1 the deity of Christ as our dear brother here have quoted a number of those passages. Keep going brother. Yes and because we're going to open up also for but let me just at least. We might take a few minutes and then allow people. Yeah we're going to do another live right after this so I'm going to try to get as much meat as possible but this time I'm going to do Mark 2 in the second session, God willing, because I want to go to Mark 12 in the parable of the vineyard. Jesus describes Israel as a vineyard planted by God. This is Mark 12. Read verses 1 to 9. You can read all the way to 12 if you guys want to, but I'm going to just read Mark 12 verses 1 to 9, specifically 6 to 9, because there God, God is likened to an owner of, the, of a vineyard. The vineyard is Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 to 7 says the vineyard is Israel, Jerusalem. And then God, the owner of the vineyard, rents it out to tenants. The tenants are the religious establishment. In the parable, Jesus says that the owner sends servants to collect the fruit from the vineyard. And the tenants send him away. They beat another, stone another, and kill another. So notice, the owner of the vineyard sends servants to the tenants because they don't own the vineyard. They're supposed to manage it. The tenants are supposed to be the religious establishment. But they keep mistreating the servants of God, killing some of them. So now notice... Who Jesus thinks he is in relation to the owner. What is Jesus' role in relationship to the owner in contrast to the servants? Speaking of himself in the parable. Mark 12, 6 to 8. Having yet, having yet his one well-beloved son. Having one well-beloved son. Not many. Contrast to the servants. This one is the only son, beloved, dear to his heart. He sent him last to them saying, they will revere my son. They'll reverence my son because they're going to know he's not just a servant. He's my son. He's my heart. He's my beloved. But those vine dressers, the tenants, said among themselves, this is the heir. Pay attention, heir. He's the heir of the owner. Whatever the owner owns, the son possesses. The owner's possessions are the possession of the son. He owns everything that belongs to the owner. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now let's unpack the implication of this. The servants, according to the Old Testament, are the prophets. And I'm just going to give you a couple examples that the servants in Jesus' parable, he's narrating Old Testament history, how the religious establishment, the powers that be, treated the servants of God and how they're going to treat him, the beloved son of God. They're going to kill me. But now let me prove to you that the servants are prophets. Jeremiah 7.25 
since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have even sent to all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. So Jeremiah 7, 25, Jeremiah 26, verse 5, Jeremiah 29, 19, 29, 19, Jeremiah 44, verse 4, and Revelation eleven eighteen all say the servants are the prophets that God sent to Israel, whom the religious authority persecuted and some killed. But notice who Jesus thinks he is. I'm not simply a servant like them. So much for Islamic theology. I'm not a servant like them. I am greater than them because I am the son, the owner's son, the son of the owner. Unlike them, I am his son. <clears throat> I belong to him and all that he owns is mine. Whatever he owns belongs to me. Now, folks, let me unpack what that means. The vineyard is Jerusalem. And the owner is God. So God owns Jerusalem, and by extension, he owns the world. And the servants belong to the owner. So God is the owner of the prophets, the Lord of the prophets. He is over the prophets. But Jesus said, guess what? I am his beloved son, the son he loves, and I am his heir. Whatever belongs to him is mine. I own everything he owns. That means I own Jerusalem, and the prophets are my servants too. I own them. Amen. How in the world can you take this parable and walk away with the assumption that Jesus thinks he's just a prophet like the rest of the prophets when he's higher than them, greater than them, better than them, and the air, and the icing on the cake? One of the 99 names of Allah in Islamic theology, and it's based on Quranic passages such as chapter 15, verse 23 of the Quran, chapter 15, verse 23, chapter 19, verse 40 of the Quran, chapter 19, verse 80. Chapter 15, verse 23. Chapter 19, verse 40. Chapter 19, verse 80. One of the names of Allah is Al-Warith, the heir. Right. In the Quran, Allah says, we are the inheritors. We are the heirs. Jesus just claimed for himself the title heir. I am the heir. Something that the Quran admits is a title belonging only to true deity, to God. Amen. And of course, I mean, I love, you know, you wrote at least a couple of articles on the idea that God, uh, Allah in the Quran is the heir because, you know, some try to refute uh, the idea that the fact that Jesus is the heir does not make him divine. So you basically turn the, their attention to the Quran and, precisely. and use that exactly. So thank you, by the way, uh, to those who have uh, joined us or tuned in to Let Us Reason. As we mentioned earlier, this is a special edition. It's being aired right now also on Facebook Live. Of course, when you listen to it, it would have been like probably weeks ago. Uh, but if you want to go and watch this live stream, go to Facebook uh, our Facebook page, alfadi.sira, and then scroll down to the post for December 18th, 2019, and you'll be able to come across this particular podcast, which we're going to uh, label it basically the, Christolo uh, the Christology of Mark. And so far, we have really not unpacked a whole lot nope. yet. I mean, I we just started with chapter 1, and we just gave a flavor from chapter 12, and we tied it to the Old Testament, of course, with me here, my dear brother and guest, Sam Shamoon. Now, we have two minutes left before we close this podcast. So, uh, like I said, uh, stay tuned, because we will continue after a pause for about a minute to do part two, which is week uh, two of this particular series. And we want you to know that this is just a teaser. We will 
sometimes in the near future, maybe next year, me and Sam will do a whole series on Christology from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. So this is just a teaser. And by the way, we've done amazing work so far on the Trinity from the Old Testament. And we will announce to you once these videos become available pretty soon. As always, I remind you to go and subscribe to our uh, basically YouTube channel, Sierra International. Become a Patreon patron. And I pray that you would give as much as the Lord put in your heart. And I encourage you also to do the same with my brother. Where can they go and subscribe, yes. brother, before we wrap? Yeah, well, they can look for me in Patreon under the name Shamunian. S-H-A-M-O-U-N-I-A-N. My Patreon account is attached to that name, Shamunian. And my YouTube account is Shamunian. And God willing, in the future, I may change the name. But for now, that's where they can find me. Amen. So please, we encourage you uh, to consider doing something like that. Because we are dependent, of course, on the Lord. And his provision through faithful givers like yourself. And what we love about Patreon is that it's consistent. Yes. And you can give as little, believe it or not, as little as $1 uh, and whatever the Lord put in your heart. Helps. So all of that, maybe it's $1 for you, as you heard from my brother, but it does help us in staying on air and doing these video projects that we receive a lot of really compliments about. So thank you so much for your prayers, partnership, and faithfulness. And until we meet again next week, God bless you.